Well, you know, it, it would just so happen to work out that the first time I, uh, I leave my undisclosed location that I've been recording from for the past couple of months, it, it would work out that it was Insurrection Day, huh? Yeah. Um, Should have stayed in the bunker, I guess. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's a wild time to be alive. Real Groundhog Day scenario for you. Yeah, 2021 <laughs> is not shaping up awesome so far. Yeah, between Bean Dad and, uh, and the mob, uh, it's just been a real eventful week. The new EP from Bean Dad and the Mob coming this fall <laughs> oh from Virgin word. Music. Uh, I do have to say, uh, you know, if we were going to ever lose an episode, it's been a while since that happened. It was probably good that it was the Shelvies, uh, but I am glad that Arthur made a point to record for posterity. We've officially entered the accidentally horny marathon into the canon. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was really nice. important to me that, you know, everybody knew that that was an official marathon. I know. Yeah. It okay. is. It is very important that we've got to make that. those notes. Well, you know exactly. We have to to demarcate the uh, the events of the show because you know somebody's got to. But hey, hello everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course, except for in January when we do our anti trash marathon. And this month it is a French anti trash marathon, and we open it up with Francois Truffaut's The Four Hundred Blows. I will not attempt to pronounce the French of this title, but it means four hundred blows, which is better translated as raising hell um, so i've seen yeah so i've been eating stinky cheese i've been blasting cigarettes i'm ready to talk about french stuff there you go um so uh i'm still dustin i'm still arthur i am still dalton although i might decide to be arthur or dustin you know during this french marathon i understand that these films get a little out there so you know maybe we'll get real weird with it we'll see what happens but in case you're tuning into the show for the very first time we want to let you know dear listener that this is an analysis show not a review show and that does indeed mean that we will spoil the film uh and uh, although this is a movie from 1959 Question mark. Correct. Yes. Um, and one that's pretty light on plot. It's pretty light on plot. Um, we will avoid spoilers for the most part in the uh, first uh, third or so of the show. So we'll open up with a synopsis. Then we'll do a quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Very spoiler light, just like any review you might read in a newspaper. Haha, <laughs> that's funny. Or on the internet, less funny and more realistic. And then we move on into a little uh, thought exercise called Expanding the Syllabus, which will be perhaps more spoiler moderate, but honestly it probably spoils films around this film more than it does the film itself. And then all spoiler bets are off once we get down to business and analysis, and there's a little bit of kicking music to let you know that that's going to happen. So, without any further ado, Dr. Reverend Arthur Gordon, if you would please open us uh, up with that synopsis. Young Antoine is stuck in a world that doesn't understand him. His parents regard him as a liar and a troublemaker, and at school he continuously finds himself in trouble. It all comes to a head, though, and Antoine sets out to make a way for himself, running away from home and kickstarting a series of events that will shape his future. In West District 12, I was born and raised. That's what they call their neighborhoods in Paris, right? Uh, Districts? Uh, uh, ba- yeah, ba- District Yeah, district Banlou is the French word, but yeah. yeah. Banlu B thirteen, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know that movie. Yeah, yeah. the uh, the parkour fighting, aka movie. Brick Mansions, um, which is the oh, remake. Oh yeah, with, uh, I forgot they Paul did a Walker. U.S. remake. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. to a real one. That's a thing. Uh, oh, but this gosh. is not, now, our, Dustin. You're already trying to get us to talk about uh, the dirty, dumb movies we normally talk about. Oh yeah, right on, right on. Yeah, we got to get back into the Frenchy, Frenchy, French. This isn't the marathon. This is the French. Good new trash way. to cinema. Do yeah. cinema. Yeah, now, now do we? We didn't really. I mean, you mentioned that it was anti-trash, but for those of you who are tuning in for the the first time or first time in a while, yeah, we do this every January normally because Oscars are around now. But it's going to be a few months from now this year. Whoops. <laughs> who knows? Well, yeah, at this rate, hard to say. Uh, but yeah, we like to take a break from the schlock for one month out of the year and you know try to get smart. 
grow them brain cells back. Um, Arthur, you chose the the, the Frenchiness. Uh, was there any reason behind your thinking on on going full French for the marathon this year? There wasn't. I kind of was inspired last year, like you mentioned in the uh, now lost episode of the Shelby's, that we kind of covered a range of uh, cinema uh, from different periods, different styles, different genres, and I kind of liked that approach. But I was like, well, it'd be really fun to do a deep dive into a certain cinema to a national yeah cinema, so yeah. i thought france was right for the picking <clears throat> they're and, famous for being good at it yeah so and i thought we'd start with uh, obviously this is episode 400 so that tie-in is there and so this one was already on the docket for quite a while just for the fun of it and then i was like hey why not do some more french films with it so here we are episode 400 the 400 blows. so next week we're not doing the 401 blows <laughs> Well, it's it's funny yeah. you say that. Now I'm sure Dustin knows this, uh, Arthur. I don't know if you knew it. Before. The series, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that. Uh, that there's a whole like Satchiget Ray type uh, or um, you know before midnight type uh, you know series of films with this same actor. Yeah. It's oh cute. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of movies. Yeah. yeah Antoine Donnell is an ongoing character. Yeah. Four films, I think Truffaut did. Yeah. Yeah, there's something a like short that. and three or four features. Yeah, is it shoot the piano player and I forget the rest? Yeah, I think the back three. Is shoot the piano player right? No, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there was a, a short film and there's three like charting his relationship right. with uh, the, the, his first wife. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm excited to get into this. You know, this is a film that looms large in the canon. Um, Arthur, had you seen it before? I had not. I wasn't sure if you had. It was the first time for me. And Dustin, you've, I assume, seen it a couple times. Seen it a couple times. times, yeah. Yep. That's usually par for the course when we do, we do something that's uh, in the canon, as it were. Yeah. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and do some thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. So both of my virgin rookies, um, this is your first 400 blows. Uh, I'd like to know. Gross. Uh, I'm just, you know, uh, just saying the words. Uh, you can take whatever meaning you like. Uh, it's a French movie. I'm supposed to do this. Uh, Arthur. What's your thumbs up, thumbs down review of the 400 blows? I wasn't sure what I was expecting from this. I, I knew, obviously, it's kind of the forerunner of the French New Wave, and my only experience really with the New Wave has been uh, Jean Luc Godard. Uh, and so I was kind of had my expectations shaped around that. And so I was expecting something a lot more abstract and dreamy, and, you know, and, and for this to be such a simple and uh, straightforward film i was kind of caught off guard by that um but i i really actually enjoyed it quite a bit i, I think it's just you know very well shot very clean I, I like the look of it uh it's got a great cast uh with the standout performance i think by uh jean-pierre Layaud as antoine I, I think he just has a great charisma and he's presence. so good yeah um and so i, I really like that he's very easy to watch and easy to believe and, and so I, I understand um that uh Truffaut had him ad-libbing a lot of his lines from what I read. And so I think that's a really cool approach. Instead of trying to force this youth dialogue, he allowed the youth to speak in his own words. And I think that helps add to that kind of uh, realism of the film. I like uh, the airiness of the plot. Uh, that still allowed for some plotting. Uh, you know, there was some rise and fall in action, some connective threads, uh, a little more segmented and episodic, I think. But still, it felt yeah. like there was a through line rather than just kind of a breezy following him around for an afternoon or whatever that that could have been the approach but I, I like where the film goes with it and I like the uh the the journey he goes on and the kind of melancholy that surrounds it and, and I think it's got a lot of great humor it's a very funny movie there's a lot of funny bits especially with the school and the teachers uh some of the stuff with his uh stepdad and his family um and his friend Renee I think they they make a fun little diabolical pair uh kind of a Bart Simpson Millhouse uh, totally yeah uh, and so I think that's a lot of fun uh, and I think it's a film that really rewards a rich film education. Uh, I think it's a movie that 
quotes quite a bit. Yes. And I think that would probably strengthen my appreciation for it. Uh, but as it stands, I, I did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed watching it probably more so than I anticipated. Um, I wasn't ever blown away by it, I don't think. But I, I think it's really good and solid. And uh, I'd easily come back to it again and, and rewatch it because I think there's a lot to uh, like about it. So that's where I'm at. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Dalton? What's your experience of the 400 Blows? Yeah, I, I, I do mostly find myself kind of in, in lockstep with you, Arthur. Um, I, I think I might be a little bit cooler on it. But overall, I, I did go for it. I like the, the vignette structure, but as you said, there are still kind of uh, thematic and emotional through lines that kind of connect these vignettes as we see them. Uh, because, you know, there there is a plot unfolding. Antoine's life is in flux, I, we should, shall we say, uh, throughout the movie. But uh, I, I don't know. As, as you mentioned, this quotes other things, but this is a film that feels like it's <clears throat> it's been quoted so much uh, and we, we talk about this phenomenon on the show all the time. It, it, this might just very well be a case of I got to it too late. I've seen too many of the films um, that exist in the wake of 400 Blows because, it, you know, this is a, a kind of a titanic film across international cinema. A lot of filmmakers who have made coming-of-age stories cite this as an inspiration. I could name some of the filmmakers, but we'd be here for a long damn time, and we got other stuff to do. Uh, so maybe it was just that case of... Yeah, I've been here, done that. I know I know what this movie's trying to accomplish. I did go for it, though. Uh, as you said, Arthur, it does have a, a really keen eye. Um, I, I think you can see how how personal this film is, even in the filmmaking, and, and it was not any surprise to me, you know, doing a little bit of research after watching the movie, that, uh, you know, Antoine is, is really kind of a surrogate for Truffaut. This is a, a, a character that he resonates with on a personal level pretty heavily. Um, as far as just having a troubled childhood background. Um, and, you know, I, I think that is the, the, the strength of Antoine, whether, whatever your class background is, but centering on a, a working-class kiddo kind of opens up the doors for a more chaotic childhood um, that, that is believable, right? Like, the, the supervision of a rich child doesn't allow for the kind of shenanigans that Antoine gets up to. Um, and so whatever your class background, I do think the film finds a pretty good way of, of letting his family kind of being solidly working class without, you know, seeming like they're in danger of slipping into poverty. It kind of allows a a universality to kind of permeate, which, again, I, I think is really great. I mean, there's a lot of French films that are specific to a time and place, and, and while I don't think this film lacks in specificity, uh, I do think it, it does a great job of, of staying, you know, broad enough so that it can be, you know, part of that uh, empathy machine Roger Ebert's always talking about, right? And I think that this film really does excel at that kind of stuff. Some of it's a little on the nose for me, like uh, what the parents are arguing about, the their dynamic feels a, a little bit too, you know, cribbed from I, just storytelling in general, I guess. You know, the dad who wants uh, the son to, you know, make jokes at the mom's expense so he doesn't have to. The dad's kind of a deadbeat, but is, you know, making the best of it. Mom's a floozy. Like, it's it's all kind of like, all right, I, yeah, that's not a, a, an upbringing that is you know, made up out of thin air. This is, this is a, these are lives that people have lived for sure. No, nothing feels contrived or invented for the sake of, of the movie. And, and yet some things just feel a little on the nose for me. Uh, and again, maybe I'll feel differently upon repeat viewing. Um, but that was kind of where the first, I would say act and a half of the film landed for me. Uh, and again, it, it might just very well be, I've seen a lot of movies uh, that, uh, and a lot of coming of age movies. We did a marathon about yeah. uh, that very subgenre a couple years ago. So it, it just might be a case of that. Uh, I do really appreciate the 
the kind of multiple modalities I feel like are going on in this film. Like I, I feel like we get a lot of pretty grounded realism and yet there is sort of a, a dreaminess. Uh, we've already mentioned again, there's sort of an episodic nature, but the, the edits are super elliptical and I love that about it. like it just kind of, we fade out in and out of scenes in a way that is sort of gives them the, that quality of half remembered memories, which I really, I didn't enjoy that aspect of the film. And, and I think that touch is most, you know, signified, or I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I think the the finest example of that kind of work in film is, is where we end. We, we do end on a still image. Um, and I just, I don't know, I think it's very lovely. It's very evocative. Uh, it does really tie the room together, uh, to, to quote the dude. Uh, yeah, I, I, I went for this movie. Um, I, I there's parts that feel self-indulgent to me. Like the, I, oh, I get it. PE is not fun for anybody. We don't, I don't know that we need five minutes of them jogging around Paris. A little much for me. Uh, but uh, you know, again, outside of some things that feel a little contrived or maybe a little too stock character for my taste, or, you know, some moments that feel self-indulgent, there's truth here. There's pathos here. Like the, the having to, you know, getting in trouble for defacing the classroom wall and like all of that stuff feels super just like, Oh, okay. School's the same everywhere, no matter when or where you went to school. That's Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. That was very relatable. Uh, look, it's not going to come as any surprise to the gentleman at this table or any of our listeners that I was a tiny cigarette thief as a child. Uh, (laughs) that shit's super relatable. Yeah. Like I, every couple of scenes I was like, all right, Frank, all right, Frank, I see where you're at. All right. Mm-hmm. I respect you. I understand what kind of childhood you had. I understand like what you want to illuminate about childhood. So for what I do see it to be its faults, I think it still shines through. It is, it's a remarkable film. I see why people like it. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am a big fan of this movie. Uh, and it is because of its uh, weight in with the, with the canon and just what it changes. I mean, as a narrative, I would agree with what my co-hosts have said. And that is that it's not, you know, really all that inventive or breaking all that new of ground. I mean, there are stories, and there are stories that predate this film about, you know, rough growing up. And, I've you got know, one on my uh, syllabus to talk about. Yeah. You don't get along with your parents. Nobody understands me. I mean, this adolescence kind of stuff, which adolescence is kind of a 20th century thing, and so it's not a, um overly told story by 1959, but by point. this point in the 21st century, it is definitely uh, a frequently told story. Especially, yeah, I mean, we've already entered kind of the era of, postmodern uh, coming of age stories with right. stuff like assassination nation or uh, even you know american honey which is kind of blending documentary and and narrative a which little is bit. a great movie I, well i name checked because i know you love it yeah no yeah. uh, but uh so there's a lot to be said there but really what i love about the movie is uh just his commitment to style um his yeah. uh, commitment to achieving a sense of realism and that elliptical editing is that way in which memory works and also totally. uh, his use of long takes his use of exterior shooting and uh, moving outside of sets, using natural lighting, naturalistic performances, all of that stuff. Um, Layard's uh, performance is stunning uh, for a child actor. Yeah. I mean, really, truly just stunning. Mm-hmm. And the support cast is also quite good. And uh, it doesn't ever feel too editorial, and I think I like that about it more than anything. Is it This is what's going on, but it doesn't make a whole lot of comment, uh, commentary on that. You know, you mentioned the super long PE uh, running through the streets, but I love it because it's like this reverse Pied Piper thing where the PE coach runs out with all these kids and then he just keeps losing them as they escape to go, you know, go to the arcade or the movies or do whatever they're going to do. Well, you're right. And and, um, Antoine's mom is not like the film doesn't 
you know, impugn her dignity in any real right. way. I mean, she's frustrated by her own behavior as much as her son is. So you're right. There, there isn't a whole lot of like moralizing at yeah. any of the characters. It's just, this is, this is kind of how it goes down and um, how I think it's interesting to me how um, young Antoine, I don't think he understands why he's doing what he's doing. No. And uh, the, and that's what, one of those, again, lack of commentary kind of moments where um, it still is happening, but um, just this is how it goes down. And you do see that there are some of the feels. You do see some of the motivations. But as far as his own personal understanding, it's kind of lacking. And uh, there's a real, again, realism. Uh, being a student of Bazan, the film's dedicated to Bazan, who died the first day of shooting Whoa, of the film. Didn't know that. And uh, so uh, who was the mentor to Francois Truffaut? And then, of course, there's a lot of name drops of Renoir, and you know we can talk about that later with just the long takes and that great long take of the running to the sea. Um, I won't say anything more about that at this point, but it's a great long take. Good scene. And well, the great long take, um, just first time through the classroom with the girly pick uh, yeah. running through, yep. uh, is also just a, a good way to achieve a, a sense of realism. Realism is not only achieved through the long take, but... I want to take a quick sidebar, just because you were mentioning... I really like that one in particular, but there's a lot of great classroom scenes in this movie, and I feel like one of the things that's missing from a lot of the great movies about childhood are more scenes in the classroom, yeah. which is, I, I get why we don't get a lot of those. They're probably hard to shoot. They're hard to write, but that's a lot of where you're at as a kid. Like, regardless mm -hmm. of how much you're actually at school, you still have to show up to, like, ditch class. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, it's just such a you know, a, a huge chunk of people's adolescence and growing up. It is, it's rare that we get very many classroom scenes. Right and, on. You know, if we do, it's, you know, learning about the rules of magic in Harry Potter, right? We don't get to see Juno uh, in Trig, like cramping or whatever while she's pregnant. You know, we don't. Yeah, doing recitation for poetry, etc. Yeah, know, it's just there's. The hair, yeah, whatever I, poem I, that I is. I just love every classroom scene in this movie. And maybe it's because the, the actor that plays their teacher is just such a great curmudgeon. Yes, uh, it is kind of fun. It's really good. Oh, just giving a great salty old man performance. Well, and he's got a great turn there where, uh, and I guess this is a mild spoiler, when Anton lies that the reason why he missed class because his mom died, <laughs> which is awful. But um, he has this great turn where he's yeah. like, oh, I'm so sorry, son. You know, keep your chin up. You know, it's like this weird moment where he's like, okay, I just like to abuse and be sarcastic and be kind of mean to my students. But, uh, you know, there's a genuine, again, sort of caring there without commentary. Well, so that's where you get it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, and he has a, a moment with one of the other teachers right there in that scene, right? And I, I, there are a couple of moments in the film where I think Truffaut lets, he does a thing that uh, Jonathan Demi does a lot. Uh, and maybe Demi, Demi picked it up from Truffaut or I don't know who, who, who we can credit for this. But he lets the scene linger for just like mm -hmm. a couple of beats longer than you would expect to go. By the way, there's another movie going on yes. over here in the in the margins of the of the lens. Yeah, there I are other lives at work here, and again, that achieves that sense of realism. Totally. So for that, totally. I, I appreciate that. Again, um, outdoor shooting, um, non professional actors, natural lighting. Uh, it, it is pretty rote at this point, but it was really brand spanking new come 1959, and so its importance is more about when it was, as you said earlier, than um, what the experience would be here in 2021 in the 21st century. So there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts are generally pro regarding Francois Truffaut's The 400 Blows. We move on now to our little uh, thought exercise, which is expanding the syllabus. You're teaching this film in a class, which is not shocking, um, as it is part of the canon and it is part of the anti-trash marathon of January, not our normal fare. And uh, what class would you use this film with? And what uh, additional films and or readings would you use to augment said class? I go to you first, Dalton. What say you? Well, I, I did think a little bit about uh, doing a class on the ethics of child actors. Um, and I, I, the only reason I want to bring it up is just because we've talked so much about uh, uh, 
Jean-Pierre's performance and just kind of lauding praise on him. And obviously this film went on to define his career as an actor. So, you know, I I did want to just kind of throw out a a brief mention of that. It's not something we talk about on the show a whole lot because we don't do a lot of, you know, child actor centric films too often. We do a handful, but uh, you know, I I think there's a class in there somewhere. You you can look at like this, stand by me, um, just kind of go down a list of notable films starring child actors that are kind of given great credit for those performances. And I think you could chart the lives of those actors a little bit and just kind of, you know, ask the questions that need to be asked about the film industry uh, and child labor and why we are so willing to make concessions about child labor when it pertains to the screen. Um, I think there's interesting questions to be asked, but what we're actually going to be teaching, uh, we're going to be talking about is uh, running away from home when parents just don't understand. We're going to be doing a a little bit of a, a syllabus on the, uh, the the adolescent angst that is, you know, just trying to be understood, that is trying to get a world that has existed long before you, a, a history and a culture that you are having to reckon with uh, to understand you and hear you. And I, I, again, that's kind of classic fodder for storytelling, not just filmmaking, but I, I think there's, you know, we can kind of do a survey of a couple of different films that, you know, bump up against these themes uh, we could probably augment it with some just, you know, uh, early childhood development readings. Uh, just, you know, do, do a little study on the, the human brain and, and how it develops and how, you know, people develop psychologically, how people are socialized, these sorts of things. Um, especially because class is such a big deal in the 400 Bloods. I think we've got to look at stuff like a locuses of control or loci of control, I should say. I don't know if you... You guys probably know about this, right? Yeah. So, listener, if you don't know, there's uh, this term that gets thrown around a lot of social sciences, uh, loci uh, of control, locuses of control. Uh, Basically, whether a person or uh, society attributes somebody's fortune or misfortune to uh, events beyond their control or whether or not it falls down to personal responsibility. Uh, And I think, you know, by looking at those sort of larger societal issues, looking at childhood development, we can answer a lot of questions about the films we're going to be watching. And again, I think it'll just deepen and enrich the texts a little bit to have that, uh, that, you know, that academic grounding. And just to remember, like people are really adolescents. People really have to live these lives and grow up and then go on and be adults in the world. Uh, so keeping that in mind while we go over these films will be important. We're going to look at a couple of films where the running away is literal, like with Antoine in 400 Blows, where he does in fact, tried to make a go of it on his own away from his family. And uh, we've got a couple of films like uh, Kings of Summer uh, that deal directly in girlhood, uh, Spring Breakers, uh, The Florida Project, where the running away from home is much more literal. Uh, I even threw in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I, I think that's uh, there's some fun dualities there of supportive found families versus abusive found families uh, and how those those two kind of butt heads in that film. Again, it's, it's a silly film, but I think there's some interesting stuff going on there within the text of the, the 89 film, of course, to, to clarify. Sure. Uh, we'll be looking at Moonlight. Uh, again, that one is more of a, a figurative running away. Um, you know, um, the, the, oh my gosh, I can't think of the character name or the actor name, but uh, uh, Little uh, to, to Black, to, you know, these, these different identities that this character has throughout his life. Um, I, I think are really interesting because he is always feels like he is either literally running from bullies at the start of the film and by the end of the film he's running from his sexuality. Like it's just good stuff. Moonlight's a great film if you haven't caught up with the listener. It's great. But yeah, I, I think that there's some good stuff here. I mentioned Girlhood already. I wanted to get another French film in this class just to kind of compare, do a little compare and contrast, looking at a, a French film from the 21st century that's a, you know a coming of age story about a 
a, a, you know, a, a younger yeah, a girl who comes from a refugee family making that, uh, that running from something a little bit more literal uh, than, you know, the angst that Antoine's running from. But then again, looking at, you know, childhood crime and, and how that impacts a life um, and how class can kind of be the determining factor and how that life of mischief catches up with you. I, I didn't think about this film uh, because I got uh, Spring Breakers on here, but I think uh, maybe even um, uh, The Bling Ring, which isn't a film I've seen, um, but just because of Sofia Coppola kind of interrogating th- that rich kids are able to get away with petty theft and in fact, you know, turn it into a a big 15 minutes of fame. I think that's a, maybe an interesting film to look at. Uh, the last one that I, I have on here, or last two, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, you know, I wanted to get something very contemporary as far as time period goes uh, with the 400 Blows. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot more staginess to the acting in that film, but there is also, you know, again, James Dean is lauded for good reason. I, mean, I think he's great in that film, uh, and everybody's great in that film. And that, that film has a pretty stacked cast. And uh, speaking of, you know, young performers, uh, a lot of tragic ends for the folks in that film, unfortunately. But uh, I think that film is doing a lot of the same things as 400 Blows. It's just doing it much more in a very American mode. Um, the last film that I wanted to mention is not a film that I recalled liking very much, but I think it is important, uh, and that's Gus Van Sant's Elephant. Um, I, I thought about different films about school violence. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin, uh, Assassination Nation. I thought of a couple, but I thought I just kept coming back to Elephant. I'm like, I don't like this film but it covers a lot of ground, and I like that about the film. For those of you who are not aware, Elephant is a Gus Van Sant's film that is very loosely takes some keys from the events uh, in Columbine in 99, uh, but it is, it's, it's a fictional story. It isn't you know trying to be a dra- docudrama by any stretch of the imagination, but it follows different children at the school you know throughout the day leading up to the, the bad thing that happens. Um, and, and I think looking at how the extreme end of the spectrum of how, you know, adolescents looking to strike out and make a statement about who they are, um, you know, that shit can go sideways uh, if there are not support structures, if there is not a system in place that uh, accepts kids for who they are and tries to, you know, help them channel who they are in a productive way. Things don't always work out super great, man. Um, So anyway, those are the films. Uh, I I think it'd be an interesting class because, again, it's not always a literal running away that we get with uh, Antoine. Uh, Sometimes it is, you know, Moonlight was the one that I was really, I was like, oh, this is a fun one. Uh, Because, you know, the the relationship between mother and child in that film is fraught with such tension. And sometimes there is a literal running away to, you know, a different found family that's more supportive. And other times it's just, you know, putting physical and emotional distance between a parent. It's not necessarily a literal flight. So, uh, yeah, looking at a couple of different what does running away mean? What do these these child-parent relationships uh, mean? How do they inform uh, a life? Yeah, I think I think there's a good good ground here. I see, again, I see why people like the Warner Blows. It gives you a lot to think about, a lot to talk about. Very good, very good. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What are you going to do for a class there, Arthur? Yeah, so I kind of wanted to tap into that troubled youth thing, but I, I think I'd also want to do this... Maybe in a cult cinema class. Ooh, yeah. I think these kind of coming of age films are are more prone to becoming cult films just by their very nature of having a niche audience. They're never going to be a four quadrant film, and also the good ones uh, that approach the true struggles of childhood or teenhood and growing up, and the kind of the taboos uh, by which they they discuss you know sex or drugs or. Uh, depression, anxiety, you know, those sort of things that parents turn a blind eye to or adults mm-hmm. turn a blind eye to, that these films or shows that I'm going to really kind of do, uh, dive into. Um, 
And so I think it might be a, 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 a section in a course on cult cinema. I think that'd be a fun way to approach this. Uh, I want to start here with, I think, a bit of a meta, and you've already mentioned it, it is Rebel Without a Cause mm. uh, from 55, because I think it definitely would have inspired uh, the French New Wave and the Kai uh, film critics in several ways. And I think that that through line is important, not to, you know, just the the films, but criticism as well. And what we've developed as auteur and, and what is art and, and film and things like that. Well, a film that got people really talking in its time. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big deal. Uh, and so that's my uh, my first. And then I think after uh, that, I would go with Terrence Malick's Badlands, uh, which um, does have a older male uh, scal- scallywag uh, in, in Charlie Sheen. Uh, but he's a Charlie uh, Sheen, Martin. Whatever. It They're all the same. To, it's funny to picture Charlie, though. I'm yeah. having a great time <laughs> yeah. picturing uh, that film made about ten to fifteen years later. New head years later. They're all yeah. the same. <laughs> um, but Sissy Spacek in that film is yeah. uh, Holly is only a fifteen year old uh, yeah. character, uh, and, and so I think kind of focusing it and looking at it through her eyes and um, how he interrupts her life is kind of a maelstrom of of crime and and romance and love and and kind of that odd bonnie and clyde element to it and i I think that's where i'd go next Uh, from there i'd go to stand by me um primarily uh that river phoenix character because uh, jean pierre reminded me so much of river totally uh in in his performance and his the way he carries himself and that kind of hardened edge by which he 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 walks through the film i thought so much of river and and so i think stand by me because i think you know river is uh, Jean-Pierre is Antoine. I think that Rene is Will Wheaton. You know, I think they have that similar dynamic totally, yeah. uh, at play. And so I'd kind of analyze it from that lens. Uh, another one, which would kind of take us to the other side of the class spectrum, is Charlie Bartlett. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Who's another kid who's just, he doesn't know what's going on with himself. Nobody else knows how to kind of corral him. And he kind of tries to find these outs uh, through through <laughs> becoming a self-proclaimed psychiatrist for the students and, and drug dealer. Um, but I, I think it'd be a fun pair to kind of look at those side by side. And then on the other side of the spectrum, I want to look at 13, uh, Catherine Hardwick. Oh, yeah. And kind of tap into the the, the female side of things and look at, the, you know, life's hard for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, and the more dangerous probably for uh, young women. And totally. so I would probably go there. And then I'd follow that up with, I didn't put it on here initially, but I think I would as a pair. I'd put it on Assassination Nation and Euphoria. Nice. Uh, two that really delve into the realities of growing up in high school now and social media and bully culture and all that stuff that goes on that parents just don't understand. Well, and the, yeah, the super complicated mixed messaging of growing up in the social media age where, you know, uh, speech is policed and yet is not at the same and, and completely ignored at the same time. Yeah. yeah I, I, the, I've only seen the first episode of Euphoria, but yes. I was really surprised. Like, yeah. The follow-through and themes from Assassination yep. Nation. To, uh, is Dan Levy? Is that? That's not. No, no. that's the guy on Schitt's Creek. Um, I can't think of his. His dad's also famous. Uh, they aren't they on a field? Is he a sonnet? Ma- I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm but actually going to look it up right now while I, you're vamping. <laughs> I'll vamp for a second. No, I think those are great picks, Arthur, and I like that. Uh, you know, we ended up with kind of similar syllabi, but I, I like that you're kind of concerned with uh, the ways in which cult films are able to tackle this subject matter. It's Sam Levinson. Barry Sam Levinson's Levinson. son. Yep. And of course, it's a, yeah, a famous filmmaker's son. Uh, but hey, you know what? I'll give Sam Levinson some credit. I like that show, what I've seen of it, and I like that movie a lot. And I, I really appreciate, you know, uh, the inclusivity of it, of yeah. it all. I think that's really cool and really important. And, and to highlight the struggles across the spectrum in multiple ways. Yeah, his his interest in uh, this generation in particular's expression of gender and, and you know, as we, we get 
more and more into a, a post-gender binary society. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Arthur. Levinson does a good job of of tackling that, but you know, knowing that he's a, a tourist for all intents and purposes, like he does seem to collaborate with his his trans actors in a way that seems healthy from you know what I've read uh, about the, his process. Cool. That's where I would end it, though. Very cool. Very cool. I like that very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am calling this little marathon, little section, little module of a class smells like teen cheese, um, and that is uh, coming of age French, like cheese. You're cute. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of French coming of age movies other than uh, Girlhood and 400 Blows. Huh? There are, and they're both on the list. So 400 Blows and Girlhood would both be there. Uh, Girlhood being my 21st century example of that, and an immigrant experience and a female experience. Um, an additional female slash male experience is more of a coming of age and realizing the reality of death is uh, 1952, 55, I can't remember right now, uh, Forbidden Gangs by Renee Clement, uh, which is a hard-to-find film, uh, but it is uh, in that weird post-war period um, after World War II, which doesn't get a whole lot of love. You know, before the wars, um, the experimental phase gets a lot of love, but uh, Clement is a uh, interesting filmmaker, and uh, these kids uh, have a dead pet, and they bury it, and they get obsessed with burying dead animals, <laughs> and it's part of the obsession there. The forbidden game is that they make a cemetery, huh. and because they are just the existential crisis that is death, uh, which is a moment of coming of age that is not necessarily tied to adolescence, which is interesting. And the main yeah. instigator is uh, the young female character uh, in that film. And so I want to give that uh, a lot of attention. Jean Vigo's uh, Zero to Conduit, uh, which is a boarding school story, or orphanage story, uh, which is a major inspiration for Lindsay Anderson's If. And, uh, and so uh, that's an interesting uh, poetic realist film. Uh, as opposed to the realism that we see in Truffaut. And so style, I think, is interesting there uh, to play in as well. So you do Zero to Conduit, uh, you do uh, Forbidden Games, you do 400 Blows, and then finally you do uh, Skiyama's Girlhood, and sort of just see a range of genders and a range of ages and time periods, and uh, just the ways in which uh, the crisis of coming of age and when it occurs and how it occurs differently and uh, just it's tough being a kid in France because it's tough being a kid er everywhere. I keep forgetting Girlhood's a, a Skiama joint for some reason. Yeah, yeah, man, good filmmaker, huh? So yeah, she's great. Yeah. So uh, yeah, those are my picks uh, for uh, my smells like teen cheese, uh, which is just trying to make it <laughs> teen Lindberger just didn't seem. Look, here's the thing. If you're going to be a hoity-toity country, people are going to make fun of you. Yeah. And that's just how the chips have fallen. Uh, we're a dipshit country. People make fun of us for that. This is how it breaks out yeah. sometimes. If you're going to do a it's thing. just how the cheese shreds. <laughs> it's how the ash falls. <laughs> Wow. How the grounds are brewed. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move right along because French I think fries. That's now... how the snails are sautéed. It's time to get down to business. And so the escargot on the menu now is analysis, uh, uh, the, the analysis snails. Uh, and we're going to do that. Let's begin with style, and let's talk about just the uh, realism of this. because You read I, my mind, yeah. Because I think uh, a lot of us were expecting um, something more from Godard, which is more experimental, but yeah. narratively straight and breathless, or something more left bank, like Agnes Varda or Alan René. And this film is, in many senses, more classical in its narrative. Yeah, I thought about doing a syllabus that kind of looked at, uh, you know, realism to magical realism on a gradient of some kind, you know, kind of looking at different coming-of-age films and how they they choose to interact. Um, oh, I forgot to mention Florida Project was a film I did want to talk about. You did, uh, did mention, I mention it. it? Yeah, okay. you named it. Uh, well, that's a film that I think does both in an interesting way, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's a film that is heavy on the realism until about the last, you know, five seconds, or, you know, last 
minute or three, uh, and it kind of heavily goes into some magical realism territory. Uh, but you, you're right. I, I wasn't expect. I was expecting something a little bit more dreamy from 400 Blows, and I think you know that uh, older filmmaking styles again, just analog film. There is a a jitteriness to the 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 actual 24 frames a second film image. There is a a tactileness to the black and white cinematography in this film that, you know, even though it is heavy on the realism, it does get, it, there's a dreamy quality to it. Again, we talked about the elliptical editing. Right. Yeah. So, but the it, episodicness of it. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how, how the movie kind of walks both a little bit. Well, it feels more like what you might see in like the British new wave. Uh, I'm thinking about Lindsay Anderson and your Beatles movies, which again um, are a bit more scripted and silly, but um, very much, uh, you know, I mean, hard day's night is uh, got that big uh, stop-motion scene where they're out in the big field. But for the most part, just them hanging out in a train, them hanging out in a room, them yeah. going and doing an interview, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of realism there. Or uh, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, is that the title of the film? With, with Albert Brooks. With Albert Brooks, yeah. 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 Um, so but thank you for that. I kept, kept me caught up as I was just starting talking words. My <laughs> brain was, was clogging up with caffeine and uh, coffee grounds. Sort of kitchen sink thing, right? Yeah, and, and, and so the, that kitchen sink thing of British New Wave seems to be a bit more of what we're seeing here in this French particular example from Truffaut, as opposed to, again, your Breathless, uh, which, I mean, there's a way in which Breathless also ties to Lindsay Anderson a little bit there uh, with um, Hard Day's Night. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's a sort of a weird place, but the, the real New Waviness of it is that there are no sets. That they are, you know, real locations. Even the interiors are done in real life locations. The lighting is naturalistic, and uh, I, although we wouldn't call it natural lighting, they can't. You can't achieve those shots unless uh, you're doing uh, some extra three point lighting. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be kind of a mess uh, inside a regular apartment or whatever. Yeah. yeah. For that, and of course, uh, the on set locations, just mounting the the camera to the car. You know, they don't use a process shot when they're coming back from the theater, mm-hmm. and uh, just mounting that because they couldn't afford it. And so the lack of budget in that case sort of gives another sense of realism. And a moment that was mentioned in the commentary that I thought was pretty interesting in terms of realism, uh, just the choices. So there's a part where Antoine takes out the trash Mm. and the light goes out. Yeah. Because um, in France at this time, after the war, there was um, electricity rationing and uh, outdoor lights turned off after a minute or two. And so it takes him that long to get down the stairs to the trash bin and the light goes off and he has to turn it back on. Uh, which, I mean, as an American viewer, the first time I ever watched this film, I did blew past it, never noticed it. I mean, it was completely unimportant to me. I saw that, I noticed it, and I didn't, I was like, well, that was an interesting choice. I did, I just, I noticed it, but I didn't know what to make of it. But the, yeah. the electricity rationing makes perfect sense. Yeah, so it's a yeah. thing that happened, but just the choice to stick that in a film is the first time that it ever happens. It's cool stuff. You know, it's, it's like using a toilet in Psycho. You yeah. know, every yeah. house has got them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when they're, when Marion is flushing down her note or part of her check, I forget what yeah. she flushes down the toilet. Yeah. That's the first time that happens in American cinema, uh, just a year or two later. Yeah. Uh, in this case, it's that choice uh, to do that, but to do something again, just real realistic and real specific uh quotidian yeah and so uh anyway that that's the style thing i mean there's some wipes that are interesting yeah. mm-hmm. some swish pan mm-hmm. cuts but i mean there's no, nothing like the audacity of the jump cut that you see in like breathless right yeah any other stylistic thoughts? Well, I, I did have some questions, yeah, because, uh, you know, I'm aware, vaguely, of the French New Wave, but for me and the the listener, Dustin, I was, well, and Arthur, I know you know a little bit about it, too. I know Dustin just has is a little bit more well-read on it, uh, but t- can we break it open? Because it does kind of sound like, from what we're talking about, with 400 Blows, it, it sounds a little bit more in line with, like, Lars Martrier and the Dogma 95 folks, and that kind of 
real stripped down shit that they were doing, you know, a couple of decades later. And yeah, in French New Wave, I do think of it as a more impressionistic sort of filmmaking, a much more sort of dreamy filmmaking. So uh, it's interesting to see 400 Blows be a film that's got its dreamy elements, but on the whole is pretty realistic and, and grounded. What, where, what are the, the through lines in, in the new wave, you know, if, if it isn't uh, the, the choices of realism versus, you know, fantasy? I, th- I think part of it is just bucking the system that came before of, yeah. mm. of these French films that were kind of grandiose, high costume, melodramatic type gotcha. films. Similar uh, to what we we had going on in the late 60s, early 70s with yeah. New Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so we kind of get this more stripped down, raw style of, of filmmaking, whether it is uh, more impressionistic of the, you know, Godard or this, you know, more narratively focused film, but gotcha. still very, you know, by the bootstraps type of filmmaking and relying on what you can and your natural lighting and your uh, on-location stuff. So it's not really a film movement that's necessarily defined by what choices people are or not making. It is more defined by how it exists in opposition to... Yeah, what they're rejecting. Gotcha. Okay. And so the through lines are more difficult. I mean, generally, you can talk about the new wave as being pretty hyper-energetic. You Mm -hmm. see that in Varda. You see that in Godard. You see that in Truffaut here. Um, There's a lot of energy to the film. Uh, as you're going through the streets of Paris and sure. seeing what you're seeing and and just the life is happening, life is happening. But there's exceptions to that too because Alan Rene, you know, last year at Marion Bad or Hiroshima Mon Amour, those films are a lot more elegiac, and uh, so they tend to. But so the, their rejection though is of conventional narrative structure, mm. and so. Um, that they're elliptical, like you might find in the 400 Blows, especially last year in Mariamad. But rather than just simply being elliptical, there's a way in which, uh, well, it, it feels like it feels like slowed down, reflective, dreamy versions of Pulp Fiction, where the story bits are cut up into different places, and so the beginning, middle, and end are all chopped up and laid around. But they're edited in such a way that they flow into one another. But suddenly you realize, oh, I'm in a moment earlier, mm. and now I'm in a moment much later, and oh, that moment I saw is actually even later than I thought it was, and now I'm watching the moment that precedes that. And so um, that's where uh, Rene uh, on the left bank was called sometimes a left bank of mm. the uh, new wave. Rene and Varda. Uh, belong there. Chris Marker uh, is another oh, yeah, example okay. there of of the of the most abstract and experimental of the uh, new waivers. So uh, yeah, that uh, that's a little bit of how it works. But again, as Arthur was saying, it is more of their rejection that they're not doing anything classical Hollywood or classical French, mm-hmm. and so they don't continue in poetic realism or uh, even like I'm thinking about Clouseau and The Wages of Fear, which is a film from just before this, right? Yeah. Which um, is uh, super ratcheted up in terms of tension. It's one of the most tense movies you ever saw because it's about driving a a truck full of. Oh, nitroglycerin I, across a jungle. Yeah, it got remade as Wizard Sorcerer. Sorcerer. Yeah, Sorcerer. yeah. yeah I know yeah. About this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, super, super high rush, but it, it's straightforward characterization, straightforward uh, narration in terms of understanding characters and motivation, and straightforward narrative as it cause an event, right? Gotcha. And so, in in many ways, the uh, the style of the uh, late forty five to to 59 mm. is pretty classical Hollywood and a lot of it's aping a lot of Hollywood. Yeah. Like. Well, no, that, that is something I do know about the, this kind of period in French cinema that is really defined by, you know, the huge influx of, you know, American produced films coming in after the war and, and sort of a, no, damn it. We need to have a French national cinema. We can't allow our, our, our way of doing things to be eaten by another place's way of doing things. Right. I don't know that that's a huge part of it. So that makes that aspect of, 
of this movement makes sense. And that's not to say there's not a specific French identity or that those films of the late 40s into the 50s are of that decade, a 15-year decade, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to think about it that um, way. That's really how decades tend to work. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not that it's not interesting and it's not that it's unique and doesn't have its own flavor and texture, mm-hmm. but it is um, it is less written about and less um, easy to describe. I, I actually took a class in just post-war French cinema oh, uh, okay. in my um, PhD program. And uh, and it is it is fascinating, but it is there's less to say about it because it mm. does seem to um, very much be part of a of a uh, global cinema rather than um, really of its own unique voice um, voice and is culture. It, is it because of that that kind of dialectic that's going on between it and U.S. cinema? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a lot of that, and and you know, I mean. Renoir is uh, doing stuff that Orson Welles is doing. Sure. You know? okay. And so, I mean, it, there's a way in which it's close, you know, deep focus, long takes, mm. but still very close. Clouseau is doing the same kind of action editing that you would find in an American Western. Yeah. Uh, Clement is telling a sort of standard drama like you might find in a Frank Capra film. Mm. And so, I mean, and they're doing it in a very French kind of way, but that you can definitely see the well, yeah. fingerprints of these uh, particular American directors on their work. What is it? Uh... Band Band Apart is that the, the which you know Tarantino named his production? that's a Godard film yeah but that one's very much about like you know the American crime movies right mm-hmm. and that's my understanding of that film's deal I guess is it is kind of you mentioned you know the the borrowing of these uh, American action editing techniques and that's my understanding is that that film is very much a reaction towards similar films coming from the U S and wanting to say yeah okay we can do this too yeah. right okay yeah uh, what's the cutoff is is there like you know I know with uh, you know noir in the U S there's kind of uh, some real flexibility goes to about fifty eight yeah yeah, yeah we there, well but there's a, you know it depends on who you ask right is, is French New Wave kind of kind of like that depends who you ask or is there a more like uh, agreed upon cutoff it's harder to figure out when it ends but it definitely Definitely begins in fifty nine. Okay, because fifty nine we got this film, we've got Hiroshima Monomore, we've got Breathless, all within this to nineteen sixty within gotcha. this year period uh, of the of that beginning of it, and that really does sort of launch whatever this thing is. Interesting. Um, okay, but when it ends is anybody's guess. Sure. Well, I think you know the the Hollywood new uh, new Hollywood's kind of like that too, right? Like I, you could probably make the argument that you know Star Wars is the end of it, right? These new guys have become the old guard already you know mm-hmm. within the span of about five years they become the heavy hitters in the game well you can go as far back as 68 even to begin the new hollywood oh too. sure yeah, yeah. easy rider and shit yeah. no that's what i was thinking about it goes yeah. back you know as, i mean you can even argue you know peck and paw and i mean some of that is kind of in there right and um oh god arthur what's arthur penn is that the guy that yeah. did yeah, yeah, yeah i mean that that the hyper violent crime movies that they're doing in the er- earlier part of the mid 60s yeah i mean I, I think you can make that argument i was just kind of trying to think about you know, contextualizing these two different cinemas that are having sort of a similar moment right. within the span of about 20 years. And what's interesting is that the American New Wave very much is trying to emulate the French. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, the, the, the new, new Hollywood cinema, yeah. as opposed to New American cinema, which is the experimental, you know, so there's the same kind of division there, right? So yeah. the left bank of the more experimental version, and then we got New American cinema with Joseph Mikas and all those cats uh, putting together these, uh, uh, Hollis Frampton and others doing the really sort of abstract experimental stuff, but yeah. then the then the new Hollywood is your Coppola's and mm. your Lucas's and your eventually Spielberg's. But it, and it also sort of, I mean, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, well, some of the stuff doesn't really come into fruition, fruition until the, you know, the heyday of, of Sundance, right? With Soderbergh and, and uh, Tarantino, like actively working in a, in, in a mode that's informed by French movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's just interesting. And again, I, it's, it's not, I don't know. The, I don't know that we, the three of us especially, but I don't know that I hear a lot of talk about the overlaps and the exchange going on in French and American cinema. I know that was kind of 
you know, Kaya de Cinema, that was their whole deal, right? Was talking about noir, you know, codifying this movement that American cinema didn't even realize it was going through. But it, but it is interesting to me, just in this conversation we're having, how much overlap and borrowing and trading. You know, you, you see it a lot. You know, we talk about it a lot with American and Japanese cinema, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and even Korean cinema, too. But Peckinpah borrowing from Kurosawa. Yeah, know, absolutely. Everybody slow borrowing. motion for the violent. Everybody death. borrowing from Kurosawa. But, right. you know, in Kurosawa, we're going, oh, Westerns are dope. And, you know, kind of meshing that in with the samurai films that are already happening, mm-hmm. right? And the, uh, obviously r- the ripping off of Yojimbo and all this stuff that we've talked about before. But it's just, it, it's interesting how much of this is, you know, going on between, uh, you know, and obviously British cinema is, is in here too. But I don't know, it's, as you said, it's not written about as much, and I I just expected that to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like how dirty they let childhood be in this movie. Yeah. And I don't necessarily mean like, you know, puerile or any purient. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. I just mean like, yeah, I mean, he's, he sleeps in a printing press at one point, right? Like, right. it's just all kinds of well, stuff. Well, he's got like a sleeping that. bag instead of sheets at home, even, you know? He's yeah. got the ripped pajamas and... Yeah. yeah. It's 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 a little hard scrabble, and it, it doesn't shy away from that, but it also doesn't feel like poverty porn, right? Like, it's not like relishing in, in Antoine having a, you know, less than middle class upbringing. Mm-hmm. But it, but it is, it's specific in a way that never feels leery. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I want to think about the look, though, too, and, okay. and just the, the film and the look, because uh, images and the image of Antoine himself, there's a, there's an image where he's looking into his mom's vanity mm. uh, early on, and he, you know, as he's, like, uh, doing bad manners and wiping his hands on the curtains and trying to make dinner and sort of, like, he's playing house in a way, but he also doesn't understand his family, and the image of the pinup girl, that's what starts his troubles in the first place. You know, and and then going to the cinema, which is this great moment of family connectivity, but also it's kind of a lie. And how um, the 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 film is what something that lies to you at twenty four frames a second. Godard once said, and uh, and the film is trying to achieve all this realism. Um, I just I, I like the ideas of looking mm-hmm. and uh, just uh, that there's a problem that Antoine has is that he can't see himself. Well, and people won't stop seeing him. Exactly. Like society, man, won't stop observing him and saying poo-poo. Um, which, you know, again, as we've all of our syllabuses show, is not a, you know, an, an, uh, it's, it's not the only movie to address this, right? Like this is not a foreign concept to literally anybody. I think we can all uh, identify with this, even if we had very different childhoods from Antoine. Um, although I got threatened with, uh, you know, military school more than once. Uh, th- this is a thing that people can relate to, mm-hmm. right? And whether it is a lie or not, th- there is a truth there uh, right. that I think is... Uh, the film does a pretty good job of capturing. Well, Neil Gaiman famously says that fiction is the lies that tell you the truth, right? There you so, have. I mean, and yeah, Herzog and the ecstatic truth. You have to lie to tell the truth sometimes, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I do appreciate, as you, you mentioned there... Looking and observing, oh, you know, Antoine sees his mom, uh, and in a moment she does not want to be observed right. having, right? You know, her, this this tryst she's having while they're both playing hooky from their responsibilities for the day, right? Yeah, and you see him see her when she's playing nice to him later, yeah, and you just watch the life yeah. drain out of his face. Well, well, you can, and her performance is so good too because you can see that she knows she's not getting through to him, mm-hmm. like she's committing to like trying to be sweet mommy. But she knows that he's not this buying it. This is not going to work, and I may get caught yeah, right? yeah. as she cuckolds her husband. Yeah. 
which is just oh, terrible. He, he's kind of a schlub. He is kind of a schlub, and he is it, it, weirdly he's authoritarian at times. I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it's a tension I feel myself as a father. Sure, right? I like, I, like there are the rules. You need to keep the rules. Doggone it! Respect my authority. But you don't want to be a cop to your kids. But don't, yeah, but sometimes you got to be, and then you know you want to goof off and laugh and get along, and 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 the weird ways in which. Um, his intentions are being misread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it it's so interesting that the film doesn't let us know that this is Antoine's stepdad to like the end of the movie. Right. But it makes so much of what come came before like it totally puts the rest of the movie into focus in a way that I think is really interesting because I, I wouldn't have thought anything about the way that he interacts with Antoine in those early scenes and till that moment and it makes you go oh and it does as you said you know he is trying to kind of have his cake and eat it too in the way he's raising this kid well and interestingly i don't know that antoine knows Ooh, yeah you it doesn't know, really it, come up it does seem like it mm. is a thing that's being revealed because um apparently mom was pregnant when she got together with him yeah and yeah. Uh, so gave him my name and all that kind of stuff and I, I i'm not sure to what extent he's ever even been told his dad's not his dad yeah, yeah, yeah and so which is again another you know these lies that well, are, that's something that's an experience that is very much part of a, a post-war period of history right mm-hmm. lots of kids are being raised by people that uh, are not you know don't, parentage is not really an issue as, as pertains to who's rearing who right, right. throughout the world and I don't, this is not just a french experience right this is something that's going on throughout the entire planet in the 50s really yeah and this film really does uh, very much anticipate the rebelliousness of what will be the 60s right well especially in france where they're not afraid to fight the police <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, yeah, those student protests are right around the corner when this film... I mean, that's Antoine's part of that generation, right? Absolutely. And then, of course, the American counterculture movement is sure. a little later, but the same kind of idea, though. And and so the ways in which uh, that teacher is represented, uh, the way in which law enforcement, parents themselves are being represented, there's, there's a way in which your authority is... Um, that, that there's a legitimacy insofar as you're in those positions and you do have authority in order to mete out consequences. But also... I don't actually have to listen to you, and my refusal to listen to you uh, is uh, is almost what's the word I'm looking for? Irresistible. Yeah, because it is an expression of again we talked about watchers and watchees right mm-hmm. already. Uh, because the children see the adults slipping all the time. They know they're not stupid. Uh, the 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 English teachers teaching them all how to say uh, you know dirty dirty phrases right. right like they constantly I get Antoine's mother. Um, his Milhouse, I'm just going to call his buddy Milhouse. I can't remember his his name. Renee, thank you. Renee's dad, who's just like, doesn't care that his son has clearly been smoking and drinking, is just like, don't hang your clothes on my big fancy stuffed horse. I don't even know what's going on in that house. That house is wild. They're definitely upper class there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but that that kind of upper class where they've just stopped putting on airs. Right. (laughs) Little gray gardens (laughs) shit going on in that house. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Weird, weird upbringing Renee has, for sure. Uh, but yeah, again, constantly th- this generation, right? And I, again, we, we could extend it beyond the borders of France, but constantly this generation is being told what to do, how to behave, and it breaks them. I mean, sorry, baby boomers, you kind of got broken a little bit. It's not your yeah. fault. I, I'm a millennial, man. We got kind of broken by our moment in history, too. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and the weird way in which, again, the sort of lack of commentary in the film is that there is some way in which the film does seem to suggest that Antoine is bringing some of this problem on himself. Sure, sure. You don't actually have to write on the walls. And yet he does. And yet he does. He must. And, 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 but when you do, again, there's a way in which uh, the the system itself is still 
weirdly unfair, even though it is kind of right. You know, you're not supposed to ride the walls at school. Um, the, I think the way in which negotiating that sort of the rules is best seen in the fact that they're learning to memorize this recitation of this poem, right? Mm-hmm. And repeat exactly the poem as uh, they're being taught it by their instructor. And then when he has his writing project, he quotes and steals the bit from Balzac, and that's not okay. It, it is like, I need to copy in this circumstance, but I need to not copy because it's plagiarism yeah. in this circumstance. The way, Yeah, the way that scene plays out is really interesting because it doesn't seem like Antoine under... He's like, no, I, I, what are you talking about? I, I did what it, you told me to do. Yeah, yeah. you've been t- asking me to mem- memorize things that I thought were, you know, powerful and artistic. Right. And, so I did that. And, so, and and that is like one of the fundamental sort of problems of childhood. You know, it's not really about authority so much. It's understanding situational um, behaviors. Yeah. Is that here it's okay to copy. Here it's not okay to copy. Um, you know, I think about my sons and potty mouth. You know, um, occasionally one can use some foul language in certain circumstances in certain sets of company. And occasionally one should not. Dustin looked at me very, very hard when he said that. (laughs) And it is appropriate at times for some people to say one thing. I mean, okay, I'll give an example. This is very, very kitchen sink. This is very new wave as an example. All right. All right. So we got a new house um, and it's been a rule in the old houses. Don't take food in your bedroom. Why? Because it stays there and it becomes a science experiment. That's how you get ants. That right? Or rats. Or no, rats. Even worse. And uh, so for the for the kids, the rule is don't take the food. Sometimes I take food to my room. Well, yeah, you pay the mortgage. I do pay the mortgage. I do pay the rent. And also, I most of the time take my bowls out. And I, at least I don't allow them to become science experiments. Speaking of formerly rent, currently mortgage, congratulations. Th- thank you. Thank you. Um, You're officially landed gentry now, I, I think. I am the gentry. I am the bourgeoisie, the petty bourgeoisie. Oh, I know whose house to come to first. Uh, <laughs> I finally know a homeowner around my age. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, is um, my 13-year-old mm-hmm. cannot understand how this rule applies to them and it doesn't apply to me in the same way. I love it. Yeah, of yeah, course no, you can. And, and there's, a, I mean, it is, it is so radically unfair mm-hmm. for that to be a thing. And, and that's not to say that sometimes I'm not unfair because I am absolutely sure. because I'm a person. The parenting is unfair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, so for I mean, everyone involved. And so there are these sort of righteous indignations and these unrighteous indignations, and that really, I, mean, I love how the film really captures this really, really weird Venn diagram of just how frustrating it is mm. to be a child growing up in the world. Well, and yeah, and it doesn't, again, we've, we talked about the ways in which this film doesn't moralize anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody is a bad guy in this film. Like, even the kind of the harsher teachers that Antoine gets, like, as you said, they're, they're given these moments where you can see that they care. They right. are trying to be good educators uh, it, with the tools that they have available to them at the time, right? Antoine's mother is doing her damn best. <laughs> right. She's She's trying, um, and it's it, there's never a moment where I feel like, like even the um, I don't know if it's a judge or he's like the head headmaster at the reform school or whatever, but it's the the person that his mother kind of makes. Oh, I guess it's the judge, yeah, because she's like, can you send him to a place by the sea? Yeah, even he doesn't come across a bad guy. Like he comes across somebody who is invested in like this kid doing better. Right. It, it is so interesting that uh, that everybody's given that kind of grace to to be a, a full person in mm-hmm. the, within the confines of the movie. Well, and I, and I think what the film runs up against, and this is, again, this is when I get kind of personal in my reading and experience of the film, I mm-hmm. think, is the impossibility of seeing the nuance at those ages. That the way in which, you know, you talk about extending grace and seeing that this, you know, 
because I'm sure Antoine only sees this as a guy as the guy who sent him to jail. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yep. Not as this person who is trying to help them. Well, and then this, this is a scene, obviously, that takes place outside of his gaze, right? right? Like, it's not colored by his perception of the, the, the events that are unfolding. Right. And, 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 and so that, 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 again, part of what you're locked into at that moment of childhood is that inability to see nuance. Mm. And I think the film, the way it opens up is that as we grow older, we don't have the guarantee, but we have the possibility of looking back on our childhoods with nuance. Well, and I think maybe the only character that we don't, the only adult who we don't see behave with nuance is the stepfather, mm-hmm. right? Who, who just gives up on Antoine. Yeah. Says, Fuck it. Fuck this kid. I'm done with him. He tried to steal my typewriter. I'm over it. Right. And it is interesting that he's, well, I, I was going to say that he's he's so sweet to him, but no, he gets so mad about the accidental uh, but fire he, in the bedroom. He's like, not mad about that. He's mad about his wife cheating on him. That's, true. I mean, that, that's the thing is that, true. Th- th- that this is his way out and he's breaking the relationship off because he can't prove the yeah. affair. Good and point. so there's even nuance there because he's not really mad at Antoine or about what Antoine's doing. He's mad at her. Because I mean, he knows. Yeah, and that we get that implication. Yeah, that he, for sure. He suspects. He keeps dropping those hints about his yeah secretary sleeping with the boss and yeah, yeah. So I mean that that, that I it, it, even there there's the nuance. But again, can you look back and say, oh, he really wasn't rejecting me. He was rejecting mom, but he did kind of use me, which is kind of crappy. But also, I was aware of what my mom was doing, and that's kind of a crappy deal for my dad. You know, again, sort of being able to look at the thing with a full throated like, okay, you know, there's the light and dark, a mixture of both. You know, in in terms of my understanding of these people, that is. I think as I look back at my own childhood and I look at the childhoods of my children right now, mm-hmm. um, I think that is what's so, I think that's where teen angst in this film at least comes from is that inability to diagnose nuance. Well, and I think, you know, again, trying to do, do a little bit of my own uh, applying this film to, to my life and vice versa. I, yeah. I, I think there is, uh, as I said, we, we Anton, Antoine sees more than he's given credit for. Yeah. Right. And I think, that is kind of a through line thematically in all of the films that we kind of pitch for our syllabi. Like all of these are films about teenagers seeing more than they're being given credit for. Uh, especially, you know, Charlie Bartlett, uh, Girlhood, those two films, uh, Moonlight. Uh, what else? Not important. Undersold, but overexpected. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it is interesting the ways in which we see that teen angst across cultures, across time periods kind of manifest in, in similar ways, right? Is like, stop treating me like I'm not an adult. I might as well be. I, the world does not treat me like a child. Why are you? Mm-hmm. And it is very interesting to see that that butting of heads, right? The, the ways in which uh, authoritarians, not even authoritarians, authority figures like teachers and parents who have kind of this, this dual mindset of both nurturing and um, punishing are more inclined to treat these adolescents like children than the rest of the world. And the rest of the world is just like, whatever, dude. All yeah. right, if you're going to screw around, like, this is welcome to big boy class. It's interesting. Uh, and again, I think a through line in all of the films that we've talked about today, but it's one that uh, it's hard not to empathize and I'm not, even beyond empathize. It's, it's hard to, as you said, uh, Antoine seems like compelled to do these things, right? And it's it's hard to not give him the benefit of the doubt and being like, oh man, he's trying his best. Like, I don't. What's the world want from this kid? Like, he's not exactly been given a, a fair shake. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is interesting to see both the ways in which that un, 
un- inability to uh, hold that duality in a child, for a child to not be able to hold those dualities, uh, you're right, like, that is probably a source of that angst, and yet the angst never feels unearned, Yeah, maybe. Is, is well, I mean, the think about what he gets in trouble for. He gets in trouble for writing on the walls. Totally did that. He gets in trouble for setting the room on fire. That was an absolute accident. He gets he, and then yeah. the, the typewriter, right? He and, did do that, and he did do that. And so it's it's a both end. Like I I keep putting getting stuff put on me, and like the sort of major inciting incident. It was a complete accident, but also there was some stuff I did, and negotiating that. Right, L- lying about his his mom being dead. Yes, he did do that. He did do that. But he but... was also put in a weird situation where he couldn't tell the truth, and the closest version of the truth he could tell was that he was pissed at his mom. Yeah, and he didn't know how to really articulate that. And I think part of that, right, is not just that inability to, you know, experience that fairness and unfairness as things that can exist in tandem. It's an inability to express that frustration, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there's not a. Uh, he Antoine and, and you can probably say a lot of the teens in the films we've talked about today don't have an ability to a- express this frustration. They haven't found their voice yet. They haven't found their their way of speaking out to the world and, and staking their claim. Uh, and, and again, they're they're constantly being told, "Well, there's only one right way to do that anyway, and you have to come sit in this room and you have mm-hmm. to let this old fart talk at you for what seems like the rest of your life." Right? Yeah. It's it, it the, the ways in which it gets at the very specific generalities of, of adolescence are it's aces, man. Like there's a lot to like about this movie, even, even though I'm kind of cooler on it than the two of you. Yeah. I think what it does, it does extremely well. So what do we think about the end as we kind of move to a close here? So he gets to the sea, right. Uh, when he runs away from the reform school, um, I find that, uh, running across the, uh, the beach to be really ecstatic, but I find his facial expression in the freeze frame mm-hmm. to be pretty pensive. What are our thoughts there? There's nowhere else to run. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, again, I made my Bean Dad joke at the top of the show, but uh, that constant, uh, when the direction you're getting from adults does not come with a certain amount of support, uh, what, what recourse do you have but to run, right? And it is that realization of, uh I'm on my own now, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, dang, everybody kept saying this would be scary, and I didn't believe them, but shit, they were right. I don't. I don't know what to do now um, because it is this moment that feels like super liberate, liberating, right? As he's running uh, down these steps to the beach, he's run, you're right though. It, it waits until we get that freeze frame, which is, feels very French uh, to end on a freeze frame uh, and a fiend. A new thing, a new move actually from Truffaut there. Good for him for, well, no wonder everybody's always doing a bit about that then. It does feel like it should. There's no way that uh, a French movie about adolescence could have possibly ended, right? <laughs> he does seem to have uh, stuck on something that's uh, that feels perfect for for the movie. But yeah, you're right. That there is a, a pensiveness and apprehension to the look on his face that uh, you know the moments that precede that look don't really have. And again, it, it is the dualities that this film kind of threads throughout its entire runtime are kind of really summed up beautifully in that final moment. Very good, very good. Are there any other major thoughts that we want to discuss uh, with the 400 blows before we render a verdict? All right, so here we go. It is in the canon, but shelf or trash for yourselves. What do you say, Arthur? Uh, I think I'd shelf it. I, I, I do just think uh, historical relevance uh, as well. I think it's a, it's a good movie, and I uh, think it's one that would grow on me uh, with rewatches uh, more and more because uh, I, I connected quite a bit with it, but I think even more sitting with it and rewatching it would 
add to that. So, yeah, I think it's shelfable. Very cool, very cool. What do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I'll agree with Arthur. I think, uh, again, being cooler on this film, it is still a film that I know I, I would will probably appreciate on further viewings. So, yeah, and again, f- for being the first French movie to end on a freeze frame and a fiend, yeah, you got to put it on the shelf for that. Come on. Nice. That's pretty cool. So I think I'm trying to remember if I do have it on my shelf. I really actually don't know. I watched it on Criterion when I prepared for this time. Uh, but um, absolutely, I'll say shelf. I, and I think maybe it already is there. But I'm not entirely sure, which is kind of embarrassing. I know Breathless is there. so yeah, It happens. Yeah. So, But definitely, um, if I haven't bought it, it is, uh, I'm remiss in having done so. So I will say shelf as well. I mean, it's what? It's like number one or two on the Criterion, I think. Yeah. That makes sense that it is. Yeah. That's funny. I didn't know that, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, so there you go. Hey, Dalton, um, tell people how they can be part of the conversation oh, in would, English. I would sure like to do that, Dustin. I wish I could uh, tell them how to do it uh, in multiple languages. But, you know, look, that's you know what they say about people who only speak one language, right? Americans? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so unfortunately, I only have uh, the, the Queen's English, and boy, howdy, do I barely speak it, uh, to, to give you a listener. But if you do want to be part of the conversation, uh, you can find us on Twitter at good underscore trash. That's not just this podcast. That's the entire Good Trash Media family. We're tweeting out links all the damn time to all the things that you can put in your earballs, uh, whichever, you know, both, I guess. Both and is what I'm saying. Uh that's uh, shows like this one shows like the praise down with Heath and Alex. Hey, I was just on that show. Um, we had a good time. It was fun. Uh, we, we, uh, Heath made the case that uh, new year's Eve is emo Christmas. And, uh, you know what? Hard to argue with him. I, I didn't agree going in, but, uh, coming out the other side of that episode, I think he's right. Uh, so you could go check that out. Uh, you can check out Twilight with Kirsten and Aaron. You don't have to subscribe to another show to do that. That's on the same feed as the show you're listening to right now. Isn't that cool? Uh, you can go check out The Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade, which is back for season two. A very, very good podcast that I strongly recommend. Um, you don't need to listen to my episode. Listen to anybody's. Uh, but lots of people, you've, uh, you know, if you've been listening to good trash podcasts for a while, there's some familiar faces uh, and names in that feed. Uh, but he just did an episode with his sister. Um, I haven't listened to that one yet, but it sounds very good. Uh, I've not heard a bad episode of The Wheel of Randy. So again, all of those podcasts, links to that stuff over at good underscore trash. You can also go over to our website, goodtrashmedia.com. Um, not all the things are posted there. Most of the things are posted there, though. Um, but yeah, again, those are the two places to find everything we're doing, everything our friends are doing. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. You know the deal. Uh, we're on Stitcher Freemium. We're on the uh, Apple's. Uh, we're not on Spotify, but all the other podcasts I just mentioned are, uh, so, you know, that's where we can be found. Uh, what else? Patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, it's a weird year, uh, and change at this point. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you've got the extra money lying around, and you want to help us out, that's fine. We're more interested in you hearing us play, uh, uh, our tabletop than, uh, your money at this point, honestly, we're having fun. Uh, we haven't got to do uh, roll those bones in a while because I've been sec- recording for my secure bunker. Uh, but shortly, uh, we'll be putting out new... Actually, we're still putting out stuff, aren't we, Arthur? I know we had a ton We have like one episode left. Oh, well, it's about time for us to get back to uh, rolling those bones. I've just been yeah. sitting on it. <laughs> oh. It has yeah, been a hot minute. Well, listener, uh, if you are interested in that, we will shortly be concluding uh, a storyline that we're hot in the middle of. Can't wait to find out how that's going to resolve. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash GTM. That's where you can find that stuff. Uh, you know, be part of the, the, you know, pick movies for us. Have movies sent to, to you by us. All kinds of fun things can happen over at Patreon.com forward slash GTM. Did I forget any other? Oh, uh, good trash genre cast at gmail.com for your long form feedback. Do you have uh, an essay about the 400 blows you feel very strongly about? Send it over. Uh, we might read some excerpts on the show. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We got time. 
Um, those are all the ways to communicate with us that I can think of off the top of my head. Do we have any thank yous? Oh, Aaron Rodgers. He makes the made the music for this show. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, not the baseball player. A uh, guy we know. Football. Different. different uh, who cares? That's what <laughs> I say. Uh, yeah, not the athlete. A uh, friend of ours made the music. Uh, thanks to Heath and Alex and Kirsten and Aaron and uh, Dan Wade and everybody else and Wampus Reynolds and people who make shows on this network. Go check out their stuff. Again, at good underscore trash to find all of those other people I've mentioned. Um, pretty easy. Uh, oh, last one. At the Praise Down on Twitter, uh, their pinned tweet is an invite to their Discord server. You want to get a little bit uh, more involved? Uh, that's a really good way to do it. Again, uh, t- a little bit different energy over at Praise Down Farms than at the Good Trash Media Factory, but, you know, look, it's mostly the same stuff. Yeah. Um, you want to hang out with me and then some other folks and watch movies together, play video games together, uh, go to at the praise down on Twitter. Their pin tweet is a link to uh, to join their Discord server. It's a fun place to be and a supportive place to be if you're needing that too. All right, now I'm done. Very cool, very cool. All right, Arthur, um, you are the picker of this marathon, and uh, we don't know any of the next selections. So, um, uh, and tantalize us. What's next? Sidebar: The first ten films in the Criterion. Oh yeah, are as follows. At number one, Grand Illusion, Jean Renoir. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, Seven Samurai, Akira Kurosawa. Number three, The Lady Vanishes, Alfred Hitchcock. Number four, Amarcord, Federico Fellini. Mm-hmm. I really stumbled through that one. Uh, number five, The 400 Blows, Francois Truffaut. Number six, Beauty and the Beast, Jean Cocteau. Mm-hmm. Seven, A Night to Remember, Roy Ward Baker. Number eight, The Killer, John Woo. Nice. Number nine, Hard Boiled, John Woo. Nice. And at ten, Walkabout by Nicholas Rogue. Rogue? Rogue. Rogue? Mm-hmm. I love that John Woo got two of it. Well, well, they got some access They got there. some yeah. two Hong Kong action movies in the first 10 Criterion films. That yeah, rules. Number 12 is This is Spinal Tap by Rob Reiner. Now that's interesting. Wow. Number 13, Silence of the Lambs, Jonathan Demme. I just saw a, a very... I didn't know the Silence of the Lambs on the Criterion collection. Mm-hmm. Huh. I just saw it's it. It's out, uh, out of print. Ah, yeah. that makes they re- sense. They brought it back. Did they bring ago. it back? Yeah, because I got it. Somebody's got a uh, video. I, am, I didn't watch it. I don't know who, what the account is, but it's called The Cult of Criterion. Uh, mm. some, somebody's done some thinking and writing and uh, reading uh, about the Criterion collection and uh, how they do have a hold over quite a few cinephiles. Oh, yeah. There's a whole discussion. Uh, there's a set of comments. So Millennium is another uh, sort of uh, avant-garde experimental yeah. art yes. house yep. Uh, yep. producer. Millennium's good. Uh, then you got distributor. Scream Factory, Shout Factory. Yeah. And, but they recently got stuff. a hold of Oscilloscope. Uh, Portrait of Jason by uh, Sherman. Charlie Clark, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great little film, uh, interview film, basically, of this drunk uh, homosexual black man in the 60s, nice. uh, just talking about his life. And cool. uh, Sounds like a good movie. It's fascinating. But in the comments, when they first released it, I'm just going to wait for it to come out on Criterion. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. People are strange. I might get into that weird debate. Anyway, next week, we uh, continue our journeys through uh, the great uh, country of France, uh, as we take a look at a man who's already been name-dropped a few times tonight. As we look at Jean-Noir's Les Règles du Jeu. or oh, rules of the game! Oh, hey, I've seen part of this one. Hot dog, they're going to kill some rabbits. Kill the rabbits. This is the, this is the upstairs-downstairs movie, right? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, cool. I've seen a couple of scenes from this. Yes, on the shelf. So, uh, there you go, dear listener. Uh, Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know. I bought it because it was in the class. So, uh, we'll, I haven't seen it since the class, honestly. So uh, there you go, dear listener. You keep watching. We'll keep talking in French. And we'll see you all next time. No, we won't.